Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Many of you grew up maybe in church and Sunday school and all that, heard the story of Samson. But I've found that over the years, the life of Samson has really been minimized to basically one message, and it's a very negative message. And it's about his sin. And it, it seems to, to focus more on his, his trouble and his bad decision over all the good in the man's life. And those, that, that all seems to be overshadowed by this, I, I can't stand religion. I just hate it. Because it's the seat of the devil. It's, it's his, how he operates in the earth today, to get people bound up in religion and get people bound in sin, get people bound up in wrong thinking, so that it robs them of a real relationship with God. And, and uh, so religion has is, is basically summarized Samson's life to that of sin and, you know, and preaches a message, something like sin will take you further than you wanted to stray. It will cost you more than you wanted to pay, and it will uh, keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Which even, and, and though that is true about sin, that's not all that is to Samson's life. There's much to his life. As a matter of fact, if we look through his life, and we have been, uh, and how it parallels to the Lord Jesus, there's actually more about him that looks like Jesus than actually looks rebellious. And so we're going to let the Scripture speak to us, and, and find out some wonderful things about the life of Samson. I think this will help you today and maybe, maybe open up your view, your, your mindset of this man and how God used him in extraordinary ways. Amen. And, and along with this parallel between him and Jesus, we're also going to pull out these truths that we can take into our own lives to help us live the God kind of life. All right, Hebrews chapter 11. Let's turn there for a moment. Um, and the reason I'm going to read there is because besides Judges chapter 13 through 16 that, that talks about the life of Samson, there's only one other place in the Scriptures where he's mentioned, and it's right here in Hebrews chapter 11. And look what it says, And what more shall I say, verse 32, For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Now these four names mentioned here were four of some of the judges that God used in Israel to help bring them out of captivity uh, when they were brought under captivity because of their rebellion to God, and God would, they would cry out to God, and then he would raise up one of these guys to help bring them out of that, all right? So Samson's named among those also of David, who was a king, and Samuel, and the prophets. Next, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, uh, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight, the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead race to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Of those 11 things listed there that we read, those acts of faith that were accomplished there, eight of them apply to Samson. It's extraordinary. He, Samson subdued a kingdom. Samson worked righteousness. Samson obtained promises. He stopped the mouth of a lion, as we read last week, how he tore that lion up. Um, he escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, he was made strong. He became valiant in battle, and he was tortured, not accepting deliverance. And so that's why there are so many wonderful attributes of his life, and that's why we need to revisit it, because there's something for us to learn in this. Number one, the first thing we talked about last week is that your, the new birth that we have is a supernatural occurrence. But anybody can have it. 
We talked about Samson's birth and how special and unique it was. It was not an ordinary birth. The angel of the Lord came to his mother, and, and, and God put a vow on her and on Samson. It was called a Nazarite vow. And then we went over to Christ and talked about how special his birth was. Pretty sure he's the only one that's ever been born of a virgin. That's pretty unique. So, uh, but, but then we talked about how special this new birth is, but how anyone can have this supernatural experience this supernatural occurrence. And then we talked about the, the, the other truth. The second truth we covered was you have authority to win in life. You have authority to win in life. God has given you that authority. I'm not talking about just power. I'm talking about you have the authority to win. Amen. And, and then we also saw that God's word is just as powerful in your mouth as it is in his. Amen. So get his word in your mouth. Confess his word. Declare his promises. You'll get the same kind of results he will because you're made like him. The scripture says, as he is, so are we in this world. Praise God. And then we talked about uh, this other thing that we're uh, comparing Samson's riddle to Jesus speaking in parables. And when Jesus spoke in parables, he did that so that those religious people would stay blind. But those who were hungry for the kingdom, those who were hungry for the things of God, not just wanting to check, do a little checklist. I did this. I did this. I did this. I'm a good Christian. No, this people that exceeded that kind of existence, that kind of experience, and who really wanted to know God, those parables opened up kingdom truths to them, uncommon truths to them. And he did that so that you and I could remember them. And, and which, which that means for us today is that you have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Amen. God, so that you can understand the secrets of God. That way you don't get caught up in that religious jargon. We don't understand the ways of God. His ways are past finding out. No, 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 no. We understand the ways of God because we have the Spirit of the living God living on the inside of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, uh, No eye has seen, nor, ear, uh, nor has ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man or those, uh, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. So at one time, that was the end of that reality. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. But thanks be to God who after Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from the dead and ascended up to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. This is what happened when the Holy Spirit came. Verse 10 says, But God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches the deep things. Yes, the deep things of God. Isn't that marvelous? So God is not concealing anything from you. He's revealing everything. Amen. And we as believers have the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Aren't you grateful to God for that? What an advantage that gives us in this world. But these secrets were revealed to those who love Him. All right, let's go to the this next place. We're going to start with Judges chapter 15, verse 3. Judges 15. I am going to go through this quickly, and we have a lot, uh, several scriptures to look through, so can you stay engaged with me? All right, all right, let's do it together. Uh, what are we? Judges 15, 3. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. So now Samson, see, you know, at this time, Israel is under the oppression of the Philistines. They are, they are captive by them, and they're ruling now over Israel. They're one of their formidable foes of all time. And now Samson is doing, God has raised him up to help bring them out of that Philistine captivity. They're enslaved to them. And now he says, I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. What Samson is saying is on the outside, this looks like I'm doing a really rotten thing. But what's really happening here is righteousness. 
what's really happening here is righteousness. Verse 4, then Samson went and caught 300 foxes. I'd like to go hunting with Samson. Sounds like he knows what he's doing. 300 foxes, and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. Can you imagine this sight? And when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. Samson burned their harvest down. I mean, he set it on fire and it destroyed every crop that the Philistines had. Well, let's parallel this to Jesus. Let's go to Luke chapter 10 for a moment. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. Luke 10, 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them, how? Two by two. Two by two, two foxes, right? Tell the tale. Before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Verse 2. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We're going to jump down to verse 17 now. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Aren't you grateful for that today? And nothing shall by any means hurt you. This fifth truth, that comes to us today that, that we can bring into our own lives is your authority for evangelizing is the power of the Holy Spirit. Evangelize, what does that mean? It means to tell people about Jesus, to give your testimony. Your authority for evangelizing is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told the disciples right before he ascended up into heaven in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Everywhere you go is what he's saying. You have the power to evangelize by the Holy Spirit of God. God sent them out two by two. Samson sent foxes out two by two into the harvest. Now, in Samson's side of it, in the Old Testament, there was, I mean, it was loss. But in the New Covenant, it's gain. What's amazing about this, this grace that we have and how the Lord has redeemed us, so thorough is this redemption. So thorough is this redemption. And um, this, the turnaround for us is that the enemy now becomes part of our family. See, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You know what that means? The Philistine now can become part of the family of God. The Philistine represents people outside of the covenant, people that, that were not a chosen people, but now we've all been chosen in him. Now we've all been chosen. Now we've all been invited to come and be a part of the family of God. Thank you, Lord, for that. And so that's the New Testament reality. Samson, he was not an evangelist. He was a warrior. He was a fighter. Uh, but so now we understand that we're not fighting men. We don't fight flesh and blood. And we fight in the spirit. It's spirits. And, and we are fighting the spiritual condition of this world. We're warring in the, against the spiritual condition of this world by winning people to Jesus. Amen. Those that are, that are bound, those that are, are, uh, are under the power of the prince of the power of the air. Those who are walking around blinded by the God of this world. No, but the gospel is what will open their eyes. And Jesus told Paul, he said, I'm sending, at, at, the, at that time his name was Saul, who later became Paul, our great apostle. He said, I'm sending you to bring light, to bring the Gentiles out of darkness and into light. That their eyes would be opened. They'd be turned from the power of Satan over to God. 
Amen. Thank God for that. Your authority for evangelizing is the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't fight men, as I said. No, we, we fight in the Spirit uh, against spiritual wickedness. What does it say? Uh, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Next, Judges chapter 15. Let's keep going. The next thing, verse 17. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramoth Lehi. This is after Samson had just killed with the jawbone of a donkey in his hand, killed a thousand Philistines. All right? Then he, cried, then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given me this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank. And his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, he, that is Samson, called its name in Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. What's so interesting about this, the, the word in Hakor, this name that Samson gave that place, means a spring or fountain of one calling. I love that. From the literal text, it means spring of the collar or fountain of the collar, and it's a capital C. Samson knew that he was called of God. He had seen God already do great things through him when the Spirit would come upon him. And he knew that he was not called of God to die in front of his enemies. He knew he was called to live. And so that's why he called upon the Lord, and he drank that water and was revived. And so then he called this place Spring of the Collar. That is what Samson is saying is God calls me, and he also sustains me. Let me remind you today, whatever God has called you to do, he's going to sustain you in that calling. He's not going to call you to do something and then walk off and say, it's all yours now. No, he's right in that thing with you. Amen. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Well, that's good to know. He will provide. He'll sustain you. Amen. And then let's look at John chapter 7. We need to parallel this now and, and, and see how this parallels to the Lord Jesus Christ. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so now the apostle John gives some commentary about what Jesus is talking about right here. Verse 39 but this he spoke concerning what? The Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right, this, this sixth thing that we're going to take into our lives today from this is the baptism of the Spirit is a fountain of words. The and, it, and it flows from your innermost being. It flows from your heart. The Scripture says that, that uh, when we speak in tongues, that our spirit is the one who's giving the utterance. You remember the first time that happened in Acts chapter 2 when Jesus told the disciples, go and wait. I'm going to my Father. Go and wait. Don't do anything until the Spirit comes. But when He comes, your whole lives are going to change. And boy, did the Holy Ghost show up big that day. And, and, and Acts chapter 2 opens up, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord. They were all in one place, kind of like this right here. There was 120 of them in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's a marvelous miracle. So there were these these. Wonders and signs that were happening said there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And then there were this, they could see like, look like a fire set, sitting upon each of their heads. And then they were 
speaking a language. Now, I've heard through the years people give different definitions of what the baptism of the Spirit is. The Bible defines it very clearly. It's speaking in tongues. Now, if you want to, you want to make it fit into some other doctrine or whatever it might be, your, your, your little denominational creed, uh, you have to actually twist the Scriptures to do that. Um, but here's the thing. Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10 is where the first Gentile, that is some people like us, got saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Only those who spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 2 were Jews. No Gentiles were in that crowd that day or, or in that crowd that spoke in tongues. But later on, God was showing what was in his heart. And, and, and what Jesus had done when he bled and died for our sins, he earned the soul of every man. That was his reward. So it wasn't just now God doing something special for his own people, the children of Abraham, of Israel. Now he has opened this grace to all mankind. Thank God. And so now God has to have this meeting with Peter. Peter goes up on this house, and he's, he's up there uh, waiting for lunch to be served. So he's sitting on the roof and, uh, at this coastal city called Joppa, and it's about 30 miles south of Caesarea where this guy named Cornelius, who is a pagan Gentile like us, and uh, Italian, and... Um, and he has this meeting with God. This angel shows up at Cornelius' house, and he has this visitation and tells him, go send for Peter. He's down in Joppa, and, and he'll come and tell you what you need to know. So Peter's sitting on this roof, and the Scripture says he fell into a trance. And he sees this vision where the sheets let down, and he sees all these different kind of animals, stuff that Jews, good Jews, don't eat. And he hears the Lord say, arise, Peter, kill and eat. As a hunter, I love that verse. Rise, Eric, kill and eat. That's what I, I hear. It. I, that's how I apply it. Anyway, but uh, so he sees, he says, no, Lord, I can, I, that, that's not kosher. That's not kosher. That's not kosher. That's not, I can't eat that. And he had to see this thing three times. And the Lord said, don't call common what I've cleansed. In other words, this is a whole new day, Peter. This is a whole new day. I know when Jesus walked with you on the earth, he said, I'm not sent but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But now Jesus wants the world. I need you to go. So, so he goes. He shows up at Cornelius' house. First of all, he breaks his, this law of God as a Jew standing in a Gentile's house. I mean, this is going against everything he knows in his tradition. But he knows God told him to do it. And he's standing there looking at this, these, these Gentile people, and he says, Hey, listen, it's not right for me to even be here, but I came because the Spirit told me to come. And, and he says, so I'm here to tell you something. I realize something now. This, this is a whole new Reality in my head, this is a revolutionary thought for me. God is no respecter of persons. And it says that Peter was preaching to them in verse 43 of Acts chapter 10. It says, to him, talking about Jesus, all the prophets witness that whoever believes on him will receive remission of sins. Verse 44 says, while Peter was speaking these words, what words? The gospel. Whoever believes on him will receive remission of sins. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And in a little bit, they hear them speaking in tongues. Imagine that. Peter's preaching to these Gentiles, and the next thing he hears is them speaking in other tongues. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. What just happened? They didn't pray the sinner's prayer. They messed up my whole religious order. They just heard the gospel. Is this gospel powerful or what? 
It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Apparently, God purified their hearts by faith, as Peter later said in Acts chapter 15. It was just a faith issue. Their hearts reached up and said, yes, I believe that news. I believe in Him who gives remission of sins. And when that happened, God gave them the gift of the Spirit, and they started speaking in other tongues. They didn't have the sound, a rushing mighty wind, so we couldn't confuse that with the baptism of the Spirit. They didn't have fire sitting on their heads like Acts chapter 2, so we can't call that the baptism of the Spirit. The only thing that was alike was that they spoke in tongues. And then Peter, recounting that, later said, then I remembered the word of the Lord. How he said, you will be baptized with the Spirit. All right, just to make that clear for you, it's a very easy, it's, it's a very easy definition. <laughs> it's one thing. The baptism of the Spirit is a fountain of words. This is out of your belly, out of your heart shall flow rivers of living water. Amen. Okay. Now, I know not everybody here speaks in tongues, and, uh, but I, I'm just telling you, you have a right to. This gift is for you. This gift is for you. So seek it out. I would say seek it out because I'm telling you, as somebody who does it, who still doesn't understand it to this day, I have found much benefit from it. Much benefit from it. Amen. Okay, let's move on. Everybody all right? Judges chapter 16. We've got a couple more, and then, we're, then we'll be finished. Judges 16, verse 1. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. That's, that's not a good move ever for anyone. When, when the, Gaz, that, the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night saying, In the morning, when it's daylight, we shall kill him. Verse 3, And Samson lay low till midnight too. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the, watch this, the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Yikes. This guy ripped the gates to a city off. Bars and all. Carried them on his shoulders and took them out. That's interesting to me. I dare anybody to go after him now. But let's remember, the Spirit of God is on him to be able to do these things. They had that question. Josh Munger, stand up back there right quick. Nobody in this building looks at him and says, wow, where does he get his strength from? Isn't it obvious? Huh? Quite up. Thank you, sir. You must stand up. This is Samson. Huh? I wish you still had your long hair. <laughs> It'd be a great illustration right now. <laughs> anyway. They asked, where does Samson get his strength from? We see like cartoon pictures and drawings of Samson. He's got muscles on muscles. No, they wouldn't be asking that question. Ordinary looking guy. Thank you, bud. Ordinary looking guy who had the spirit of God on him. This guy ripped the gates off of a city and carried him out. Now watch this. This is powerful. Look at what Jesus, let's, let's, let's talk about Jesus for a moment. Oh, by the way, just for a moment. Think about this. What's the first thing that says about Samson there? He went and saw a prostitute. 
And those gates closed in on him. See, this is what religion teaches. Samson, you sinned so badly, God ain't helping you now. You sinned so bad, you ain't got no power. But he did have power. Right after he did that. Rip the gates off the city. Oh, what is this helping us? What is this teaching us? What is this teaching us today? Get ready. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I also say to you, Jesus is speaking to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock, that is on this revelation that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Woo, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You're not locked into your sin anymore. See, they thought they had him. They thought they had him because he failed. No, they did not have him. Gates are, are made to defend. They're made to keep people out to, to defend a city. But the church is on offense, and there ain't nothing the gates of hell can do about it. Praise God. Amen. You, this seventh truth, you have the advantage because the church is on offense. Amen. And you're on the winning side. All, all hell can try to do is try to, try to keep us out, get the gates up, but it can't prevail against you. No, because we're here. We're here to plunder that place. We're here to plunder hell and populate heaven. Amen. Because we want Jesus to get as much of that reward that he earned as possible. We don't want anybody finding their way to a godless, eternal hell from our city. God put us here so that we can minimize that and close that door once and for all. Amen? So we all have this, this, this message to give, this message that saves, this message that brings people out of darkness and into His marvelous light. See, sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under law today. You're under grace. Amen. Praise God. Your, your, your Christian existence is not just trying not to sin. No, your Christian existence is, He overcame, so I overcome. I'm not bound by that stuff. Amen. We got to keep moving. Hey, by the way, if you do sin, the Scripture says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Thank you, Lord. Now let's go to the final place. Samson has given up his secret. Delilah has lulled it right out of him. I mean, she has sweet-talked it right out of him. He's given up the secret of his strength, which was found in his long hair and his seven locks. He had tricked her a couple of different times. This last time, she lulled him to sleep, and as Samson slept on Delilah's lap, she called for a barber to come in, and he shaved those seven locks off of his head. And then she said, Samson, the Philistines are on us. And he wakes up, and he realizes he doesn't have his strength anymore. If you read earlier in this chapter, it says that he did not know the Lord had left him. Let's pick up here. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and became, he became a, br a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow. Come on, turn, say it's growing. It's growing. Hey, it, it might have looked like it was over at one point, but listen, it's growing again. There's a new start for you. There's hope for you. His hair began to grow again. After it had been shaven. Verse 23, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. Imagine an entire nation here who has one foe. 
a man, but a man with the Spirit of God on him. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, the one who multiplied our dead. They haven't seen anything yet. So it happened when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us, or that we may mock him. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. 26, this is amazing. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. Verse 28, Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me. I pray just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines from my two eyes. Verse 29, And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Verse 30, Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all of his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Wow. I think you can start to see where we're going with this, how this parallels to our Savior. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says this, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. How is it? How did Jesus deliver us from death? He did it by dying himself. And through his death, through death to deliver those who had the fear of death. Listen, there is nothing for you as a Christian to ever fear about death. Death is nothing to fear. Amen. I mean, it's just a flash. It's like the blink of an eye to a Christian. You close your eyes in death here, you wake up, you open them up, and you're in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with God. Don't you love this assurance that we have, this hope that is beyond even what we can know here in the flesh? And Jesus was raised from the dead. Why was he raised from the dead? He raised from the dead assuring that you and I will all rise from the dead. Everything he did, he did for us. Amen. The fact that he did means you do. Woo, thank God. Lastly, your deliverance from death is already accomplished. Your deliverance from death is already accomplished. It's already over. You never have to be afraid. Amen. Ever. See, the sting of death has been taken out. What is that sting? The sting is the uncertainty of where you're going. The uncertainty of how long you're going to be there. The separation that that means. No, no, no. Jesus took that out to give you the assurance. The assurance that there is life. I mean life beyond this life. Hallelujah. And it's a good life. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes. There will be no death. There will be no pain. There will be no sickness. There will be no crying and sighing and dying any longer. Amen. See, Jesus went to hell and he rose again the third day. He took away our sins and he took everything that, all the, uh, the stuff that came with sin, your guilt, he took the guilt. That, he took your shame. He took that separation from God. He took it down there forever to stay. Everything that sin brought in was taken to hell with him. Thank God. And he came out of that grave with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Think about this for a moment. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That means you have to sin or be made a sinner to, in order to die. Jesus never sinned, so how did he die? 
God had to declare him guilty. An innocent man. He had to declare him guilty. Guilty of what? Guilty of your wrong. Guilty of my wrong. God blamed Jesus for every wrong thing that we ever did. And Jesus gladly took the blame. So he could die. And he died for our sins so that we don't have to die from our sins. So you don't have to beg God for relief from sin. No, Jesus already paid it. He already relieved you. Amen. Last scripture, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. King James says He delivered us from the wrath to come. See, that's how delivered you are. Jesus delivered you from what's coming. There, as a child of God, you, there ain't no what goes around comes around. You get that with religion. It's called karma. God help me. I don't want karma. I don't want what's coming to me. I need grace. Am I in the right church? Am I the only idiot? Am I the only failure up here? Am I the only one that's done stupid stuff? Huh? Are there any other dumb people in here? Any other failures in here? Any other losers in here that are saying, I need grace. I need grace. I can't save myself. I can't do enough good stuff. It'll never measure up. But God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Thank you, Jesus. He did it for me. He saved us. He had the power to do it. Think about it. It says He delivered us from the wrath to come. If you're standing on a street corner, just picture yourself holding the hand of a darling little four-year-old girl. And she sees her mama across the street, and she wants to get to her mama. And somehow she's able to pull out of your grasp and run out into that street. And there's an oncoming vehicle. But at the last second, you're able to grab her and pull her back over to where you are, back to safety. Did you just deliver her? Sure you did. But she still wants mama. And if she's still able to get out of your grasp and run out in that street, and this time, unfortunately, gets struck and killed by a vehicle, did you rescue her? No, but you tried. Jesus didn't try to deliver you. He didn't try to save you. He delivered you. People die and go to hell. That means they were never delivered from what was to come. But if you believe, you are always and forever delivered from what is to come. I don't know about you, but that really helps me because I was raised in a very uh, legalistic situation as a young, younger boy, and I was held over hell all the time. Not by God, but by ignorant people. Not by the Word, but by ignorant people who meant well, who meant well. But I, when I finally got the Word in me, and I, I read the Scriptures for myself, I realized, Jesus, you already did it. I don't need you to do You're not going to do anymore. You did it. Whom He justified, He also glorified. That means it's, you were saved spirit, soul, and body. It's done. To those, only to those who believe. That's our part in this deal. He did everything. And he says, now, I invite you to believe this. And whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. The new birth is a supernatural occurrence. You have authority to win in life. God's word is just as powerful in your mouth as it is in his. You have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Your authority for evangelizing is the power of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the spirit is a fountain of words. You have the advantage because the church is on offense. 
and your deliverance from death is already accomplished. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together with these precious, precious people. Thank you for the love of God that saw beyond our faults and saw our need for a Savior. And you demonstrated your own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Today, if you're here and death is something you're afraid of because of the uncertainty that you have about it, you're uncertain in your stance with God, your place with God, let me help today set your mind and heart at ease. Christ died for your sins and he was buried and he rose again the third day and whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. Today, all you have to do is believe on him. The scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone in this room qualifies for that. We're all whoever's. Today, let me invite you to my friend Jesus, to my Savior, the one who brought me out of darkness and into his marvelous light and will do the same for you. If you'll simply say something like this, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe that they buried you in a tomb and I believe that you rose from the dead. Come and live in me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that you died for my sins. And I receive your gift of salvation. I receive freedom from the fear of death. In Jesus' name. Now also, if you're here today and you need healing in your body, you're fighting some kind of sickness or pain, whatever it might be, I want you to just raise your hand where you're sitting right now. We want to pray for you. Father, you see these hands here. Lord, in the same afternoon that blood was shed for our sins, stripes were laid on our Savior's back for our healing. The same afternoon, all done in this redemptive work. Lord, right now, I declare that these bodies are healed. We speak forth your word. As the psalmist wrote, you sent forth your word and you healed them and you delivered them from their destruction. And by your stripes, Lord Jesus, they are healed. By your stripes, because you carried our pains. You bore our sickness. You bore our disease. Why did you do that? So that we don't have to. Hallelujah. Thank you for doing that for us, that your body was broken for us so that these bodies could be healed. We speak forth healing now. Healing to invade these bodies now and to drive out and to obliterate every pain, every disease, and every sickness and every infirmity in the name of Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for that. Now, in Jesus, Jesus, Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.